You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. This is talk six in a series entitled Seven Key Key Truths About Jesus. And the title today is His Abiding Intercession. Just to remind you of what we've seen and looked at so far, we talked about Jesus' virgin birth, his sinless life, his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection, his triumphant ascension, and now we come to his abiding intercession. Now, what does that mean? Because it's not immediately obvious, uh, a title like that. Well, it basically means what Jesus is doing for us now, seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he is interceding for us, and he carries on interceding for us, so it's his abiding intercession, okay? So, the heavenly ministry of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ is closely connected with the subject of his ascension into heaven, which we considered last time. Now, it'd be a mistake to imagine that when Jesus cried, it is finished on the cross, he had done all that he ever could do for his people. Now, his work as a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins was complete, certainly. But his resurrection ascension and glorification were all in a very real sense for us and they form an important part of our salvation so we often think oh i'm saved because jesus died for me yes but you are saved because he rose again for you and you are saved because he ascended into heaven and you are saved because he is at god's right hand see it's all part of our salvation and this will become apparent as we go along for example Romans 5 10 tells us that we're not only saved by his death on Calvary but that he continues to save us by the power of his life so in this talk we're going to look at three aspects the Bible indicates three main ways in which Christ does this saves us by the power of his life He's our mediator, he's our intercessor, and he's our advocate. So we'll look at each of those in turn. And I'll tell you now, when I get to the last one, uh, whenever I've done this before, and I haven't done it for some time, I usually find it very difficult to control my emotion. Uh, That's just the way it is. And I've gone over it a couple of times, even preparing it, and... um, there were tears just streaming down my face as I thought about it. Now, that may happen. Who knows, right now? Uh, Well, when we get to the end, we shall see. If you all end up crying, I'll think we have a revival. Okay, all right. But that's that's the, the final one. We're going to talk about, first of all, Christ is our mediator. So, by his death on the cross, Jesus atoned for our sins. He bore on our behalf the punishment that our sins deserved. He paid the price of our redemption. By his death, we're reconciled to God. 
Jesus died as our saviour, our substitute, our sin bearer. We've been looking at that in previous talk. Uh, now he lives as our mediator. Now I guess most listeners will realise what the word mediator means, but in case anyone isn't completely clear, when two countries have been at war and cannot come to peace on agreeable terms, a representative from a third country will sometimes act as a mediator, somebody not involved in the fighting, and they act as a go-between, a mediator between the two sides. And that's something of the idea here. We were God's enemies because of our sin, but Jesus has not only died to save us from sin's consequences, but he lives to keep us in right relationship with God. And two Timothy, well, sorry, 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Hey, that verse is a sermon in itself. There is one God. I mean, that's, that's quite a point, isn't it? Um, and then one mediator. There is only one way to God. Jesus is the one mediator. Um, our Catholic friends uh, I believe in Mary as a mediatrix, the feminine of the word mediator. But uh, the Bible doesn't say that. There is one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And we touched on this before, Jesus ascended into heaven. There is a man in the glory. He represents us in the presence of God right now. So it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we have access to the Father, for it's he alone who has died to save us and it's he alone who lives to keep us. So he's our mediator. So that's the first bit, the first aspect of this whole idea of his abiding intercession. These three terms are sort of, they're, they're different, but they're so closely connected in thought that they overlap to some extent. And this will be clear as we go along. So then secondly, Christ is our intercessor. Jesus doesn't only live to act as our mediator at God's right hand. He's also there as our intercessor. He's able to save completely, Hebrews 7.25 tells us, those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercede. And the idea of going between is part of that. We often think of um, interceding as praying, and it is, but it, the, the root idea of the one is somebody going between. It's a bit like the mediator. He says, well, there's overlap. Um, you are, he, he goes between us and God. He intercedes for us. So he always lives to intercede for them. Now, we are told that while he was here on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears, Hebrews 5, 7. But now he's in heaven, not on earth. 
but he's constantly praying for us. Now, I plead with you, don't try and imagine how he can do it. I mean, how, how many billions of Christians are there on the face of the earth right now? <laughs> and Jesus is constantly praying for each one of us. Well, I'm going to be childishly simple. He is bigger than we are. <laughs> um, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He, he is constantly interceding for us. Um, and it's just beyond our puny, finite minds to grasp it at all. Yes. So he's constantly praying for us. Hebrews 9.24, he has entered into heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Now, before I read that, if I'd said to you, why is Jesus in God's presence? You'd have given me quite a, a number of different reasons. Um, well, he's God the Son, and so on, and etc. But this verse tells us that he's in God's presence for us. Why is he at God's right hand? The verse says, to intercede for us. Now, of course, he is there by virtue of his own sovereign right. He's at God's right hand because he's king of kings and lord of lords. He's there because he rules the universe and because the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Yeah, that's who, he's there because of who he is. But he is also there for you. He's also there for me. You realise that's what us means, don't you? <laughs> us means you and me. <laughs> that's right. Lovely old hymn. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood atone for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. The Father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his son. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba, Father cry. Bit old-fashioned, but it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. And it encapsulates the truth very, very well. So we've gone quite quickly through that, and I'm thinking this talk may be a bit shorter than usual, <laughs> but that won't matter. So Christ is our mediator. Christ is our intercessor. And finally, Christ is our advocate. As our mediator, Jesus has brought about our reconciliation to God. As our intercessor, he's constantly praying for us. As our advocate, he defends us against the false accusations of Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Revelation 12.10 suggests that his role, Satan's role, is that of an accuser. Talks about the accuser of the brethren being cast down. So, 
I don't want to push this point too much, but it seems as though he's allowed to appear in the court of heaven as a kind of counsel for the prosecution. Mm-hmm. You remember in Job, Satan appears in the presence of God and accuses Job, in effect. And maybe that's where this idea of Satan, the accuser of the brethren, is cast down, comes from. So I want to use a little bit of sanctified imagination and picture the scene. Now, you don't have to take this too literally in a sense, but the spirit of it is absolutely right and it captures exactly what Christ as our advocate means. Just before I get to that, I'll just say in passing, the word that's used for advocate, because we're told in one of John's epistles that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And um, the word that's used there is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit, who is an advocate here on earth, the comforter, the paraclete, the counsellor somebody who's called alongside to help the Holy Spirit. But, you know, we're doubly blessed. We have an advocate down here on earth, somebody who's called alongside to help us while we're down here, but we have an advocate in heaven who pleads our case before the judge of all the earth. All right, so here's the picture. The heavenly judge, the judge of all the earth, is seated upon his throne. The prisoner on trial, that's you and me in this picture, the prisoner on trial is charged with transgressing the eternal law, the word of God. We tremble as we remember that like the prisoner, we too have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is appointed unto us once to die and after death, the judgment. The prosecution, Satan, begins his case. It's extremely lengthy, but clear and convincing. The prisoner's whole life seems to be under review. Sin after sin is listed catalogues of transgressions surely the verdict must be guilty been reading something by max lucado recently on a similar theme and he suggests that every sin has to be listed for justice to be done but that for the believer, every time the sin is mentioned, Jesus speaks up. I've dealt with that one. I've paid the price for that one. I've carried that one. And that's in line with what we're going to see as we develop this right now. So surely the guilty, the verdict has to be guilty. At last, the prosecution brings his case to a conclusion. He insists that he has established the guilt of the prisoner. 
he reminds the judge of the eternal law. The soul that sins shall surely die. The prisoner trembles. The prosecution demands the sentence of eternal death. In desperation, the prisoner, we, turn to our advocate, the counsel for the defence. Our heavenly lawyer takes his stand before the judge. He acknowledges the prisoner's guilt. He doesn't seek to contest the charge brought against him. It's true that the prisoner is guilty. He deserves to die. Satan, the accuser, rubs his hands in glee. Another victim. <laughs> but what's the defence saying? It is true that the prisoner is guilty. But his advocate demands his release. The punishment for the crimes of which he is guilty has already been taken. It's been borne by another. The advocate approaches the judge and kneels before him. He stretches out his arms and shows him his hands. The nail prints are still visible. The price has been paid. The prisoner is free. In horror, Satan recoils from the sight. The nail prints are the symbols of his greatest defeat. The accuser has been overcome once again by the blood of the Lamb. Revelation 12 again. He quits the courts of heaven and returns to his appointed place. The court is silent as the advocate speaks to the prisoner. Where is your accuser? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. The prisoner is pardoned. He was demonstrably guilty and deserving of death. But he called upon the only advocate who could save him. No other defence is adequate against the accusations of the adversary. Thank God. No other defence is necessary. We have an advocate with the Father. His name is Jesus. Don't you love him? What a wonderful saviour. He's there at God's right hand for us. He's our mediator. He's our intercessor. And he's our advocate. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit Brixham.Church.